Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the church today, and how the gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the church, living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. You'll never have a problem-free life, ever. You'll never drift off to sleep on the wings of this thought. My, today came and went with no problems in the world. This headline will never appear in the paper. We have only good news to report. Now, you might be elected as president of Russia. You might discover a way to email pizza and become a billionaire. You might be called out of the stands to pinch hit when your team is down to its final out of the World Series, hit a home run, and have your face appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated. It's not likely, but it's possible. But a problem-free, no-hassle, blue-sky existence of smooth sailing? Mm-mm, don't hold your breath. Problems happen. They happen to rich people, sexy people, educated people, sophisticated people. They happen to retired people, single people, spiritual people, and secular people. But not all people see problems the same way. Some people are overcome by problems. Others overcome problems. Some people are left bitter. Others are left better. Some people face their challenges with fear. Others with faith. You don't have a choice about having problems, but you do have a choice about what you do with them. Choose faith. In the Archbishop's Corner is where Archbishop Blair offers advice that will help us choose faith in answer to the challenge of any problem. So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner, where your invaluable advice encourages faith in answer to life's overwhelming problems. Anything occupying your time since last we met that you'd like to share with us? Well, I just want to say I don't know that my words are invaluable. I hope they're helpful, but... May, who knows, maybe God can use us to help somebody through a difficult time or and, whatever. And, and you never know how you touch the heart of an individual who might need to hear at that moment in time what you've got to say, right? Yeah, I guess you're right. We hope for the best with God's help. That's true. But anyway, you know what I'd like to begin with asking you, because you recently announced that 14 members of the Archdiocese have received papal honors from Pope Francis on the occasion of the 175th anniversary year of the Archdiocese of Hartford. Can you explain these papal honors and, and tell us a little bit more about the, the qualities of people who have received these honors? Well, yes, certainly. Uh, for the 175th anniversary, that the actual date, you may recall, was last November 28th. Uh, but we're still observing a bit of an anniversary afterglow, anniversary year. And uh, if, as part of that celebration, we, uh, I asked Pope Francis to name some of our uh, priests uh, uh, to grant them the title of Monsignor, uh, which is uh, a recognition of being an honorary member of the papal household for a priest. Uh, and I also said at that time that we would also be honoring uh uh, lay uh, uh, men and women and religious uh, men and women in some fashion So uh, during the course of this year. So it was recently announced that uh, at my request, the Holy Father has named uh, people to the Order of St. Gregory the Great, uh, uh, which is uh, to say the uh, knights and ladies of the Order of St. Gregory the Great, and others to be granted um, uh, the medal Pro Ecclesia Pontificae, uh, for their service for the church and the and the Holy Father, 
Uh, and so um, those were granted. The names have been published. I think on our website there are some nice pictures of the insignia and things that are going to be presented to these individuals. But what I'd like to say is whether it's the priests who are named on senior or whether it's the religious and laity who are getting papal awards, the important word here is representative, mm. that these are representative of uh, a clergy, religious, and laity that we can honor and recognize in some fashion. You know, there are far more individuals, far more priests, religious, and laity who could equally merit uh, an award like this. But we tried to objectively pick some that have the respect of their peers that maybe have been a little more conspicuous, or maybe they've been at it longer than anybody else. And to say to them, uh, in this anniversary year, we want to uh, honor you for your service. And in honoring you, we wish to honor all the people like you who've done so much good for the church. So that's the purpose of this. And I dare say I had an opportunity to speak with one person who is receiving the pro-ecclesia at Pontifice Cross, who um, I would think that the, the, her reaction would be similar to a lot of others who felt, oh, Lord, I am not worthy. Why am I worthy to receive this, this honor? Is that kind of a typical reaction you've received from some of these people? Yes, it is. I must say that both with the priests uh, who are named on seniors and with those getting these pontifical honors, because I told them myself that they were getting it, they were always so humble and at the same time so grateful that, that they, they couldn't imagine that they would be chosen in this way. came as a complete surprise to them. And it's really very, uh, it speaks well of them, the mm -hmm. kind of response I got from them uh, about this. You know, we, we have to always be careful um, that, you know, as, as we say, the truth is symphonic. Our faith is symphonic. And what I mean by that is that there are a lot of things that come together, that blend together to tell the whole story. And sometimes they even seem to be things that are opposite, but they're not. Uh, when it comes to honors, I think of what Jesus says, you know, we hear it on Ash Wednesday, when you fast or pray, don't blow a trumpet in front of you or do it for everybody to see. But the same Jesus another time says, uh, let your light shine before others so that seeing your good works, they may give praise to your Father in heaven. There's a big difference between uh, self-promotion and uh, letting your light shine. And none of the people who uh, are getting papal awards uh, are people who blow their own trumpet or who are uh, promoting themselves. But they're people who have let their light shine uh, for the good of the church and society and so it's fitting that we, we do this in the context of giving thanks to God for their service. And we uh, celebrate each and every one of them and congratulate them all for this, this honor, hopefully. And I'm sure through their own lives, they have been witnesses to the gospel and so have communicated the praise, the love, the glory of God. And I might add, historically, it's interesting that the, the Knights and Dames of St. Gregory, which is a, a papal uh, uh, knighthood, uh, that uh, it was established by Pope Gregory the Sixteenth in 1830, I believe, or 31. He's the same pope that uh, established the Archdiocese of Hartford, Diocese of Hartford at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that uh, it, it, it goes back to that same pope uh, at, at that same t period of history. Very interesting. Today, by the way, May 5th, is World Laughter Day. It's an annual event celebrated worldwide to raise awareness about laughter and its many healing benefits. Laughter is a positive and powerful emotion that has all the ingredients required for individuals to change themselves and to change the world in a peaceful and positive way. Now, I don't know about you, but 
Archbishop, I, I don't laugh as much as I used to. I think I'm getting too serious in my old age. What's your recommendation for me? Well, get with it. Start laughing a little more. Mm. I have a feeling, though, that you are only one of five people in the United States that actually knows and commemorates the fact that it's what's World, World Laughter, Laughter Day. Day. Yeah, I bet there aren't more than five people in the whole country that know that. There you go. You're but making it, me laugh. <laughs> well, there. okay. So thanks for the assistance, by the way. You're welcome. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Tuesday, May 7th. Because it is National Teacher Day, and it's a day to show appreciation for all of the remarkable individuals who have dedicated their lives to teaching. Teachers influence and inspire the next generation, and for that, we're all thankful. They're kind, patient, hardworking, dedicated, understanding professionals that mold children's lives in a positive direction. How about a word from you of encouragement and gratitude, Archbishop, to our own dedicated Catholic school teachers? Well, I will gladly do so, but uh, I would actually extend that to, to all teachers who, uh, in an upright and dedicated way, uh, help our young people to grow and be educated. But with a special word of thanks to our Catholic school teachers uh, for the service they render, not only to society, but also uh, to the church, um, in imparting to our young people uh, a real healthy and spiritual sense of themselves and their relationship to God and the world. This Wednesday, the 18th, is the annual Donate a Day's Wages to Charity Day. All working people are asked to donate the money that they make for this one day to charity. And for those who can't afford a donation, they're encouraged to volunteer at a local charity instead. Once more, let me give you an opportunity, Archbishop, to say a few words about a charity that is most close to all of our hearts, and that is the Archbishop's Annual Appeal. Yes, well, we're in the midst of it right now, and of course... Uh, you know, again, I'm reminded of what St. Paul said. He says, do good to all, but particularly to those who are of the household of faith. I think there are many demands made on all of us to be charitable and very worthy causes, good things that we should support. But let's not forget the charity and the good work of our own Catholic community, our own uh, Catholic archdiocese. So, you know, these are ch very challenging and troubled times in many ways for the church, not just from the outside, but from inside the church. And I know that many of our Catholic people are very troubled and uh, discouraged and maybe disillusioned, uh, disenchanted, if that's the right word, with, uh, with the church at this time. And I pray for them with all my heart that they will realize that uh, what is ultimately uh, at, at, at play here is our relationship to God and, and to Christ, notwithstanding the weaknesses and sins uh, of those who sometimes have uh, misrepresented the gospel or betrayed their trust. But having said that, um, I, I, I just hope that, that we will be able to continue strongly uh, in, in, with faith and with charity uh, to do the things that our church has done for 175 years in the diocese and to continue to do them uh, as always with the faith and the generosity, uh, the charity and the support of the Catholic people. You know, I, I say this often that Sometimes I get thank you letters from the, from the many charities that benefit from the Archbishop's Annual Appeal. And they thank me as if I somehow did this. Now, I make as generous a contribution as I can personally to the Annual Appeal. But I always say this is the gen made possible by the generosity of the Catholic people, not Leonard Blair. Mm -hmm. So uh, to all of those who have contributed, I want to, on behalf of those who benefit, I want to offer you my, my profound thanks. And if you haven't made a contribution yet... Uh, please uh, consider doing so. 
And if you're interested about these things, go on our website and you can find financial information, reports, and accountability, all of the things, any questions you may have about the appeal and where the money goes. It's a good message on this Donated Days Wages to Charity coming up this Wednesday. Archbishop, let's take a look now at the road to happiness in life, and this is where we examine the wisdom of Pope Francis that is drawn from some of his writings. I'll read a short portion of the Holy Father's Address, and then we'll ask you to comment with your own thoughts on what Pope Francis has said. This is taken from Pope Francis's Angelus, delivered on February 26th of 2017, and is called The Slowness of the Kingdom. He says, Choosing God and his kingdom does not always immediately bear fruit, It is a hopeful decision, a decision whose realization is left up to God. Christian hope focuses on the future, on God's fulfillment of his promise. We do not stop hoping in the face of difficulty because Christian hope is based on God's fidelity, which is eternal. God is true. He is a faithful father, a faithful friend, and a loyal ally. Archbishop, your thoughts on Pope Francis talking about the slowness of the kingdom. Well, this is this is very true. You know, I always find it interesting that time and space, as we encounter it, is really uh, created in such a way that we barely notice it. It's not upsetting or disturbing. There's a tranquility to it. So, for example, what tremendous speed the Earth is rotating on its axis to give us day and night. I mean, I, for, I forget it's, what, 20-some thousand miles an hour that we're spinning? Mm. Uh, I think, I'm, I forget my science class, but I think it is that. But we don't even notice it. We look at the sky, the sun doesn't appear to be moving because it's just enough that, yes, it is moving, and by the end it goes from morning till night. And we, But we really, at any given moment, don't have a sense of movement so much unless we really concentrate and watch. Similarly with time, you know, that time is passing, but the minutes and the hours are not so rushed and the seconds that, that we, we are... Uh, caught up in it, in a whirlwind. Well, that's the way it is with God's providence, you know. Slowly, inexorably, uh, the providence of God uh, unfolds, and uh, God's plan is fulfilled, but in a way that we don't immediately recognize, you know. Over a lifetime, I think it was Cardinal Newman that says, when we look back over our life uh, and we see kind of a mountain and valleys and the the great landscape of our life behind us, then we take in its breath and its its uh, its vastness, but at the time, we didn't realize the full picture, and I think that's the way it is with our life, and that's the way it is with God's providence. It's only when it's all done, and we, in the presence of God, can look back upon all the things that accompanied us and all the the the, the blessings and graces of God that were there to help us, uh, even when things were difficult or or you know the crosses and trials, and the meaning that can be attached to all of life, even the things that here we don't right now can't understand, that there is a meaning to everything provided it, it's put in the context of faith in God and providence. Then we recognize this meaning. So I think that's a very important aspect of, of, uh, of how we look at life. Well, let's take a look now at our Gospel reading on this third Sunday of Easter, the fifth day of May. Today's readings from John's Gospel, the 21st chapter. And after the gospel is dramatically presented, we'll talk with you, Archbishop. Ask for your thoughts and what the gospel means to you. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Come, 
and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly I say to you, when you were young, you girded yourself and walked where you would. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish to go. This he said to show by what death he was to glorify God. Follow me. Archbishop, another post-resurrection appearance of the risen Christ. Your thoughts on our gospel passage? Well, of course, this gospel is uh, meaningful to me because it's the gospel from which I took my motto for my coat of arms, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, pascio vis meas in Latin. It's the words, I mean, it's really a very moving, touching scene that St. Peter, who denied Christ three times, now makes a threefold protestation of love uh, to, to the Lord, and the Lord entrusts to him in a very particular way, the care of his sheep. You know, what the scripture scholars say when, when uh, Jesus asks, Peter, do you love me more than these? What is the these? Does it mean the other apostles who were there? Or does it mean the fishing equipment that's lying on the beach mm. or in the boat? Because remember, the apostles now have gone fishing again, which was their old profession, uh, their old way of life. And, and Jesus is saying, Are, do you love me more than these people and these things? And uh, Peter says, yes. But we know that Peter had to struggle to the very end, as we all do. The apostles were very human uh, in their you know, personality, in their, in their weaknesses, and their strengths. And uh, so it's, it's a, a beautiful ending to the gospel, really, that the risen Christ entrusts this to St. Peter in, in that particular way. And don't you feel that their humanity, the humanity of the apostles, especially Peter's that comes out so dramatically in the scriptures, helps us appreciate our own faith and, and our own struggle, personal struggle, to overcome our human weaknesses in order to proclaim a faith like Peter was able to finally proclaim? Yes, Lord, Certainly. no, I Certainly, I mean, all of, and all of this, you know, the gospel goes on, you know, uh, that Jesus says, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted, where you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out hands, your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. What a lesson there is for that in all of our elderly people who may be very discouraged and questioning the value of their life. You know, we have this awful scourge of uh, suicides and, and, and um, you know, assisted suicide and all that, where there's a meaning and a value at every moment of our life, even if it's participation in the cross of Christ. And he says that to Peter. Someone else is going to address you and take you where you'd rather not go. Uh, speaking of Peter's martyrdom, well, you know, there's a martyrdom in bearing the crosses of old age and infirmity and illness, uh, too. So, uh, and again, I have to add this, that the church does not say that you have to employ extraordinary means to stay alive. 
but that's very different than committing suicide. And then uh, he also, uh, Jesus just says, follow me. Uh, and what does he mean by follow me? He means you have to follow me in the way of the cross to the resurrection. That's, that was the path of Jesus. And for Peter, it would wind up being crucified upside down on Vatican Hill uh, under the Emperor Nero and, and dying a martyr for Christ. For some of us, it may mean a long uh, kind of uh, diminishment uh, with illness or old age or sickness or whatever. Uh, for others, it may mean uh, some terrible crosses in their personal life or their, uh, their health or their family or, I don't know, failure at, at what they were trying to do. But Jesus simply looks and says, follow me. And that's what we have to do with and, faith, hope, and love. And I might add for others who die at a very young age, that's what their cross might be, that they die at a very young age and don't have the opportunity to live to a ripe old age. In the providence of God, there's nothing that's lost or wasted or in vain. Let's take a look at some of the questions that our listeners have submitted. Louise from Branford, for instance, says, I know people who identify as Christians, but don't believe everything Jesus taught us. It was my understanding that to be a Christian, we need to follow Jesus completely. Can you talk about what Jesus meant when he said, follow me? Well, you basically began that conversation already, Archbishop. Is there anything well, like to Well, basically, it is to be, united, to be united to Christ in whatever circumstances our life brings. But to be united with him means, first of all, to be baptized into his uh, death and resurrection uh, and, and uh, to be one with him, to be united with him uh, through faith and uh, the sacraments. Um, and it's true, they don't, some people don't believe everything Jesus taught us, but it seems to me that the most fundamental thing is to believe who Jesus is. And if we start to uh, ex accept the fact that Jesus is truly the Son of God and the Savior, well, then other questions arise then about his teaching and what he said to do. And that's when we have to ask ourselves honestly whether we really are uh, living the full uh, truth of what Jesus uh, uh, did for us and what he left us. So, for example, when Jesus says uh, at the Last Supper, take this and eat it, this is my body, take this, this is my blood, and then he says, uh, unless you eat my uh, flesh and drink my blood, you cannot have life within you. Well, if you say, yeah, I kind of believe in Jesus, but I never go to the Holy Eucharist, I don't believe that, that there's you know, uh, the Mass or whatever, uh, then what does that say? Or if Jesus says to the apostles, who sins you forgive, they're forgiven them, who sins you retain, they're retained, and you say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I don't see any need to have a church or... You see what I mean? The, mm -hmm. the, the, the full Christ is revealed in all that Jesus said and taught, and that the Holy Spirit has guided the church in believing over the centuries. And I think maybe our prayer could be, if you're in a situation like that, where you pick and choose what to believe, what not to believe, your prayer could be the, the same prayer, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. So, Absolutely. So that your faith grows stronger day by day. And more complete. Jeff from Windsor says, even though I know I shouldn't be, I find myself consistently comparing myself to others in my parish. I try to do as much as I can for the church, but there is always someone that gives more, whether that be money or time. How can I find peace in knowing that what I can provide is good enough? Well, Jeff, I, it's a hard question to answer. I, I don't, I don't, you know, they say all comparisons are odious, and I think there's a certain truth to that, that, you know, there's no need to compare yourself to other people. If you kneel down in the presence of the Lord and you honestly feel that you are doing what you can and that you, that you always trying to do uh, more as we all do trying to be faithful and generous with what we have 
there's no need to look at other people. Just look at the Lord and uh, offer him what you have and what you've done and ask him to help you to do, to continue to do what you're doing and even more uh, by his grace. Kim from Broadbrook says, people often use the phrase in a past life, but it is not something I ever say because the Catholic Church does not believe in reincarnation. I read that a good percentage of Christians in the U.S. hold the New Age belief of reincarnation, but this confused me. Doesn't Scripture speak against it? Well, Kim, sometimes people can use the word, the phrase, in a past life, meaning, well, you know, when I was a a college kid, uh, Mm -hmm. before I got married or before I, I I don't know, became a priest in a past life. But I take it that you're, you're talking about people who, who are talking in terms of reincarnation. Well, we have to respect people of other uh, religions and such, an ex- and, and, you know, for their beliefs. We have to re- respect that. But that's an impossible belief for any Christian to have, and certainly not a Catholic. Um, reincarnation is not at all part of uh, God's revelation to us in Scripture and in what we believe. Like some, someone once famously said, when people lose their faith, it's not that they don't believe in anything. It's, the, uh, it's that rather that they will believe anything uh, <laughs> rather than yeah. once they've lost the foundation of revelation and, uh, and Christian teaching. Amanda from Middlebury says, What are the differences between the anointing of the sick and the last rites? Can they be combined in one visit, or is each one a sacrament in themselves? No, these are two descriptions of the same sacrament. Today we go by the... Uh, the term sacrament of the sick. Uh, And even last rites was never the name of a sacrament. It was called extreme unction, which is kind of a quaint Latinate way of saying extreme unction means a final anointing is what it meant. Uh, An anointing uh, of the sacrament with holy oil in extremis. You know, we use that phrase when somebody is close to death, they're in extremis. So extreme unction, uh, the unction meaning uh, anointing of the sick. So now we call it anointing of the sick which really is the same thing. Is it an extremis? Sometimes it is, yes. Other times it's not. Other times it's when a person is seriously ill and receives the anointing as a prayer for health and strength. And to tell you the truth, the church considers the, the most important sacrament bef- at the, in extremis at the moment of death to be the worthy reception of the Holy Eucharist rather than the anointing. It's called viaticum in Latin, uh, which means a, a kind of uh, for the journey, uh, food for the journey, uh, that in making your last passage from this world into eternity to have the, the benefit of the reception of the Lord's body and blood in Holy Communion. And a quick last question, Archbishop, from Stephanie from Thomaston. Stephanie says, Sometimes for personal reasons I do not receive from the chalice. Is it necessary to receive more than one way? Am I missing out on some type of grace because I only receive one type? No, Stephanie, you're not missing out on anything. The Church is always upheld. Uh, to receive one form of the Holy Eucharist is to receive the body and blood of Christ uh, uh, spiritually uh, as a whole. Uh, so there's no—and uh, I shouldn't say just, spirit, say just spiritually, but we are actually receiving it materially as well under the form of bread and wine. You know, sometimes people have a problem with uh, the uh, uh, gluten and such, and we do provide low-gluten hosts for such people, uh, which has a minuscule amount, because for validity, it has to have some, because it has to be bread. Um, uh, sometimes people talk, talk about n- no-gluten hosts, but there's no such thing for a valid Eucharist. It has to have a little bit. But the point I'm making is that 
such a person could receive just from the chalice and receive Holy Communion, and they, they would receive the full uh, body and blood of Christ under either form. And the grace is attached to it. Right? Oh, certainly, certainly. It's Arch- a sacramental reality, you know. Archbishop, we've come to the end of our time together. Can you close our program with a prayer and a blessing? Lord, as we celebrate this season of your resurrection from the dead in the body, your glorified body, we give you thanks for the gift of the Holy Eucharist in which that risen body actually becomes our food and drink and we are united to you in a mystical way that forms the one body of Christ, your body in the world, and that will one day uh, be joyously uh, reunited and glorified in heaven. We pray that we may be worthy of so great a sacrament by our efforts every day with your grace to live a life of faith, hope, and love. And may Almighty God bless you all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Archbishop, thank you for inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It was a pleasure being with you today, and we wish you well throughout this upcoming week. Thank you.